Welcome to Bombs and Barrels, a podcast that explores the inspiring stories of veterans and surfers who have been transformed through the power of surfing and the ocean. My guest today is Martin Pollock, arguably the most famous and inspirational combat wounded veteran surfer on the planet. I can't think of anyone better to have on as the first guest of Bombs and Barrels. Literally, a bomb is what caused him to be a triple amputee, and barrels are what continue to transform his life today. We discuss what it was like to grow up on that mysterious cluster of islands gathered in the Atlantic off the coast of Europe. We talk about his time serving in the British Army, how he became a triple amputee, and his introduction to surfing, and how it continues to shape and impact his life today. All right. Oh, hang on. Sticky <laughs> house phone just started going on. <laughs> no worries at all. So my first podcast interview literally gets interrupted by his mom calling him on the phone. It's an epic start to this adventure. Right. Sorry about that. Sorry. Hey, no worries. And yeah, just kind of start from the beginning. What's, what's it like growing up in the UK? Um, well, I mean, I imagine it's probably like anywhere. Well, in Western world anyway. Um, it was, you know, but like I say, rural, I'm in... Well, it's rural, but like beach community as well. Um, um, so the village I live in is actually an old fishing village. Um, so it's still like the old harbour and there's still people that work out of there. Um, um, so yeah, I think there's a, at the time when I was growing up, there's only between like three and 4,000 people live in this village. Wow. So it's pretty small. Um, obviously, there are places in England where it's a lot more than that. Like London, I mean, it's like 8 million or something. So Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, down here it was pretty chill and parents were always off, like, they were always working. And so I spent a lot, like, as a small kid, had a lot of time with my grandparents. Um, and then a lot of time just playing outdoors or whatever, you know, go beach and like. Did you surf um, as a kid growing up? No, no. Yeah. Um, when I, I remember when I was in, well, it was primary school. So that's like from like five to 11 or like four to 11. Um, I did in the summers, I remember a few times going bodyboarding a little bit and always playing down the beach, but not, never tried surfing. So, um, yeah, but I didn't know anyone that did. I don't remember even really like noticing it. You know, yeah, it wasn't like like a surf community there or anything. Um, well, there is, but I mean, I didn't know anyone that surfed or none of the family did. And I mean, I was more like, I was more like playing football and rugby and and did a bit of athletics and cross country, like pretty much, pretty much every other sport except for like surfing. Yeah, football, which we we call soccer, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. what uh, what is your uh, your team there? In England. Um, Arsenal. Arsenal. All right. Well, um, we end up digressing into a pretty long conversation about soccer. I mean, football. So I'll save you from that. But I did learn some pretty cool things like who his mom, I mean, mum, roots for. 
So, uh, so growing up into sports, playing a lot of sports, all that kind of stuff. And then what, what kind of led you, I guess, to the, the military? I guess for me, I guess I start with earlier because not, um, basically I think there's only one of the men in the family, like all sides, like through uncles, cousins, like that, that hadn't been in, um, and like in one service or the other. So it's more of a family like kind of tradition, maybe more that I saw it as. I mean, both grandfathers were in during the Second World War and um, one was, was he, I think, oh, I'm trying to remember. Can't, actually, it's terrible. I can't remember the exact regiment, but I think it was either, oh, was it logistics or engineers, but he was in uh, North Africa. Um, later on in the war, and the other, and my dad's dad was in the uh, parachute regiment. So, oh wow, um, yeah, he was I was like, airborne like, myself. Yeah, I guess he was like one of the first, and um, that's incredible. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen the. Um, I, I don't know because I'm kind of proud of it, but you've seen that film, The Bridge Too Far. Yeah, about Arnhem. Yeah, he was actually in the actual wow. Arnhem thing, like that. Actually, yeah, so. Uh, not that I ever heard anything about it from him, but um, but yeah, yeah. So I think my dad, I guess, obviously um, spent a lot of time around army bases and that as a kid. And I think they lived in Germany for a while as as a kid and that um, went to school there. Um, so there's all that history there. And um, but my initial, because I always wanted to go military right from a little kid. So, okay, so you knew from uh, from early on. Yeah, but for me, it was like I wanted to be a fighter pilot, though. So, oh, yeah. I actually did, yeah, too. <laughs> um, but my, um, yeah, but I got to, uh, and I can't remember, it was like eight or ten years old, something like that, and I started needing glasses, so that killed that off. And so then I thought, I'll go Army. And um, same as it, because that's like the rest of them had all been Army as well. So um, I then... Actually, when because we we finished school like high school at sixteen, um, what we did then I think now they have to do like go straight to college I think, unless they're going in an apprenticeship for two years. But anyway, um, yeah. So I'd I'd already gone to selection and joined up and got accepted based on my provisional grades from my exams and that. So I hadn't even sat my end of year exams yet. I'd, I'd, at sixteen, I was already I was already going. Um, and so then that September, which was two th- in 2000, um, so, um, yeah, I went off, started just like a junior entry, um, basic for the signals regiment. Um, but then there's a few things went on, um, but what I boiled down to, I didn't really feel like ready, grown up enough and all that. And I was, I just felt a bit young and. Then these a few other things that added on to it. I decided to leave, so I only did like half of the training, and thought part of it. I thought I'd go see if um, actually civilian was life was what I was going to do. So then went on, did eight years of like various different jobs, um, and then went and signed back up at um, at twenty four. So um, wow, what year was that? Um, Two thousand eight. Okay. Started, yeah, so I started basic in October of 2008. And then that 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 was a six months basic. Then got to my unit, um, 
and then joined them right at the beginning of the pre-deployment training because at that point it like afghans going pretty strong and they were just putting us who basically who was going next and so then yeah joined straight at the beginning of the pre-deployment which was another six months and basically deployed like on the anniversary of starting basic wow just a courtesy shout out to my veteran brothers and sisters we're going to talk about some things that might be potential triggers for you this is the last thing that i want to have happen on this podcast so if that's the case or you think you're feeling uncomfortable about anything please skip ahead to about 25 minutes martin's unit was sent to the helmand province It is located in the southern part of Afghanistan, making a big pie shape that cuts inland towards the heart of the country. It is the largest province by area and is home to over 1.4 million people. The Helmand province has been considered one of the most dangerous in Afghanistan. In 2006, British commanders on the ground said the fighting there was the most brutal the British army had seen since the Korean War. And I think... The furthest north base we had is Kijaki up at the dam there. And um, so we, and we were the next fob down. Um, basically, like, edge of... Our fob was on the edge of the green zone between, like, the farmland on the Helman River and the desert. And it was basically, a, like, the throughfare um, from north into Sangin and the other area. So it was a lot of... This, patrol in the area like mostly you know and at that point because we were there in the winter and it's, it wasn't that active for uh, contact so much it was more avoiding ids and that and um it's a little bit of fighting but not not a whole lot um and a few few patrols go like escorting some of the sf go and pick people up and all that sort of stuff you know um yeah, it was um, just trying to cover the ground, really. Also, I'd lost a few friends with IEDs and um, uh, and obviously things a bit more serious did go down, you know. Um, so it turns out Martin was wounded twice during his deployment. The first time he and his company had taken some small arms fire as they were on top of a ridge and um, he was actually shot in the leg he says it was most likely a ricochet he believes the round lost a lot of energy maybe striking the top of the ridge before it entered above his knee and lodged into the muscle he missed all the major arteries and wasn't life-threatening but instead of getting sent home the british army just patched him up at the green zone removing the round from his leg and telling him to do some physical therapy and get over it basically he rejoined his unit just a few weeks later. And, and actually, it's kind of funny because it ended up, it was actually my birthday. Oh, so, on the, on your birthday? Yeah, yeah. So like, on my hey, birthday, I, back. I flew back, yeah. Oh, man. A pretty fitting birthday present from the Army, if you ask me. That's pretty much that, really, on that incident. I mean. And then how long was it before you got blown up? And was that the first uh, incident you had getting blown up? I think it's four guys from my training platoon were killed out there on that tour. And then um, me and like three or four others injured like pretty badly. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so sure. yeah, but um, between getting shot though and being blown up, I did see other 
IEDs go off. One I saw um, the aftermath of, uh, you know, our Mastiff vehicles, like the armored personnel cars yeah. we have, like yeah. wheels. And, yeah, seen one of them basically get demolished. Like, and the the crater left from it was good five feet deep, and like, you know, um, uh, the dreaded IED improvised explosive device, the signature weapon of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. During my deployment, it was the thing that scared me the most. Between 2009 and 2010, in Afghanistan alone, there were 21,889 reported IED incidents. How long after you got shot was that? Was your incident? So it was mid mid-November that I got shot, and the 30th of January that I got blown up. So wow, yeah. Was um yeah, it's like what ten ten weeks, and I still don't know now even how it set off. You know, okay. Whether there's pressure plate or uh, yeah, that's the thing I don't know. Yeah, um, crazy. While Martin was recovering for two weeks, his unit was tasked with spreading out and occupying more ground in hopes to stymie a lot of the little attacks on Allied forces in the area. The unit started setting up several patrol bases in the region. At the patrol base Martin was assigned to, once he returned, there were enemy forces that had put several holes in the walls a couple compounds away in order to fire upon his unit from behind cover. This turned out to be pretty effective as any time they were out, they would receive contact. In order to put a stop to this, Martin was sent on a patrol, what would be his very last patrol. The idea of that patrol that morning was to go and destroy those bits of wall where those holes were so they didn't have the cover anymore um so yeah we'd left it we we were going out the back of the base probably just at like that first light kind of mode um but in thinking of possible booby traps in alleyways and doorways and all that we were going we went out the back of our base climbed ladders onto the top of a wall and, um, yeah, we were basically walking across the tops of the walls in between all the compounds. And I remember one point we got on one and there's this like family in there just getting up in the morning and just getting going for the day. And we're like, uh, hello, yeah. <laughs> just passing through like, um, and then, yeah, then dropped into the, the compound we were heading to. Um, and, uh, I wasn't one of the like the actual Valen guys, but in the patrols, I was always the the second guy doing cover for that guy because obviously he can't do that and have his rifle up. So um, yeah, I'm up. I was up doing that. Um, um, so basically, those two guys because we, we had two in each platoon, um, they went off checking the whole compound while we hung back. And then me and the guy that went off got tasked to go and do the first hole, which was the one that looked over to the road. Um, And basically it was in like the little room in the corner that I think, I think it's like their toilet room or whatever. Um, I think this compound been vacant for a while, you know, Um, there's nothing there. Um, And it's like, so, my mate went in first and I remember there was a rag over the hole. 
like mm-hmm. a bit of cloth over it. So that's where I don't know if maybe it had a pull cord on that and when he moved it, it went, or oh, if wow. there was a pressure plate that hadn't gotten detected, which I don't think it was. The ground was so hard, I don't think, like, yeah, it would have moved. Or there was, well, I think it might have been, I think the device might have been put, because it was, like, right on the wall to the next compound. I think it might have been put in from the other side, like, right at, like, ground level. And then there's just been a guy outside with a button on lucky timing or maybe that pull cord, but I don't know. Um, So, yeah, but... I mean, I was carrying a sledgehammer in my left hand and so my mate had gone in first. I remember putting my rifle down and then like going, right, let's do this. And that's it. Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember what happened next. So don't remember the blast or nothing. It just went to black pretty much. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I, and I figured from after I've got this scar on the back of my neck where um i think my helmet had been pushed back so i'm pretty sure i'd got thrown into the roof like the ceiling of the room um but the only i only got two bits of memory after um until i woke up two weeks later back in the uk in hospital um but the the first one was like i'm guessing it was must have been within 30 seconds of it happening um, because there was nobody with me yet. And I know they got onto me straight away. Um, But I remember like digging dirt out of my mouth and not being able to breathe. Uh, And I'm, so I'm guessing that my eyes might have been a bit clogged up with dirt as well. Cause I, cause I don't remember seeing anything. And the same thing with my other memory as well. Um, But turns out the reason I, felt like I couldn't breathe was like either the ceiling or one of the walls had like basically was on top of me. Oh my gosh. So, and like, that's why I couldn't breathe. <laughs> so you got so, up, slammed into a ceiling, crushed yeah. by the building coming down. Yeah, yeah. And, um, at this point, do you know that you've lost any limbs? Um, well, that's all I remember. I'd say, but, um, my mom reckons I did know. Because like um, when I, I remember when I was waking up in hospital, well, she thinks I knew about my legs, but not my arm. Because well, partly from the dream I was having, um, I think like right before I woke up, I remember having this like dream that I was in this uh, this te- that's a city. Um, it's actually where the wave pool is here now. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I lived in that city for like nine months or so. And it, I had this dream was that I'd gone to the station there um, to go on this like invisible interdimensional, like space train thing. Um, and then it's like, when I get on, it's like full of like aliens and all sorts <laughs> of stuff. And, and I remember like thinking like when it started powering up, it was like from my feet it started disappearing. Oh wow. Like upwards. So I think maybe that was like my brain knew legs were gone, but, but then like a DMT trip. Yeah. And so I was like, stop it, stop it. Get, get me off this. Like, yeah. And and that's like when I woke up. Wow. Um, And then I remember like in that, you know, that, that like post-surgery drug. Yeah. I know. I remember coming to and like, 
I remember glancing at my arm, going like, what the fuck? That fuck? What? Just keep like, and then look away and like look back again. And like, yeah, so I, I don't think I knew about my arm, but knew about my legs. But um, that is crazy. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny, but well, I find it amusing anyway. I think you might as well. But um, <laughs> one of the guys that was there and was one of the first guys treating me was saying that um, when he went to tourniquet my arm, um, basically the explosion had blown my forearm bones out, but had left my hand there on a strip of skin. Oh my gosh. So, and he said that when he went put the tourniquet on, I went out and like did that and like slapped him around the head <laughs> with a dangling hand. <laughs> so I was oh like, man, <laughs> yeah. Oh so, man, the, the stuff we have to find humor in because we're just yeah. in hell, you know? That's yeah, that's yeah. wild. So you slap yeah. him with your skeleton hand. Yeah, basically. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, and the only other fragment of memory... Um, also, I don't know exactly how long after, but it was on the stretcher going back to the PB to get picked up by the Mert team. Um, and that was, had two of the section commanders on the head talking to me, keeping me going like you do. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember saying to them, obviously it's all black, I couldn't see anything, but I remember saying to them and feeling like I was drifting out. And like and I said to them, I'm, I feel like I'm dying. That's like, I'm going sort of thing but i think it was just my mind blacking out because um the anesthetist from the helicopter that picked me up came and saw me in hospital in the uk and told me that i was awake and talking the whole way back to bastion so like yeah i think it's just my mind just then blacked out yeah just for yeah i have definitely from getting wounded definitely have some memory lapses that i don't know if I was, you know, awake the whole time or what, but it's memories just gone. It's just black. Yeah. 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 I remember the, the first one clearly, like, even to the point of going into the hospital in Bastion and like, um, they were going to cut my uniform off and I'm just like, no, I'm fine. I can just take it off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're like, no, no lie down. Should we get the scissors here? <laughs> but like, even to that point. Yeah. Oh, but, man. Yeah. But that one, nothing really. So uh, how long is your, you, you get flown back to, you get flown to Germany or do you get flown back no, to the UK? UK? Okay. And and you go to a military hospital and recover there? Uh, no, it's a like civilian health service hospital, Whoa. but there's like pretty much entire ward like for us. Oh, for okay. Okay. So yeah. you go there. How long are you an inpatient at the hospital and how long's your recovery? Um, so I was only in there like seven weeks. Wow. Um, and I think, I don't know if the blood loss made a difference, but mm. I mean, on the, they told me normally someone losing three limbs is like, you need like 21 units of fluid and stuff for like blood. And, but I only needed seven. Like, you know, yeah. so I think that clogged me up a bit. I wonder if that might have had something to do with it. Yeah. You got treatment um, pretty fast by yeah your, like by instantly your... yeah. yeah um um i think if i remember rightly i'd had was it seven surgeries i think in the first two weeks while i was still inducing the coma um it was all like skin grafts taken from my back and all over to patch my legs up um 
Um, actually, I remember when those dressings were being changed in those first few weeks in hospital, like after I woke up, well, the first couple of weeks, that's some of the worst pain I've ever had. Uh, like, yeah. Worse than getting shot. Like Then taking them dressings off was like... Yeah, I can't even imagine. And, and just the nerves, you know, the nerve pain yeah. that comes with losing limbs and stuff. In the two weeks that Martin was in a coma, he had pretty much lost all his strength. He couldn't sit up or move much at all on his own. He may have left the hospital after seven weeks, but that's when the real work of recovery started. His full recovery took almost five years. That's when the British Army decided to medically retire him. They were actually willing to give him even more time to recover. But by this point, he had found something that had completely changed his life. He just wanted to get out so he could pursue it to the utmost. That's right, the moment you've been waiting for. He found surfing, and he kind of found it by accident. There's this charity called Help for Heroes in the UK, and their department, called Battle Back, had taken Martin on many adventure trainings as part of his rehab therapy. Every morning at his rehab unit, they would have a morning parade, or what we would call a formation in the States. During this time, they would tell the guys about activities such as snow skiing in the winter, kayaking in southern Germany, water skiing at nearby lakes that they did weekly. It was at one of these morning parades that he first learned of Operation Surf. Well, basically, yeah, there's just one morning at the morning parade at the rehab center. Um, at the end of it, one of the rehab instructors was just like, oh, yeah, there's this um, trip coming up go to California and have a go at surfing. And I mean, I was like, um, I think I was the only one that was like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, the only yeah. guy, so you're the only one from that? Well, not, not the only one that went, but like in that, in that day, okay. the only one that went and asked about it. And the guy was just like, yeah, yeah, give this guy a call, put your name down and wow. see what happens. And That's awesome. yeah, ended up, ended up getting the go. So I mean, part of it as well, I remember thinking, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take the free 10 day trip to California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to pass that up. That's awesome. Surfing isn't something that like you had sought out. It literally just found you you know, at a rehab center and it's like, sure, I'll go to California for 10 days. And you fly out to California and, um, did you, you went to the San Luis Obispo one the first time? Yeah. Okay. So it's an, it's Mm. an intimidating thing. So I can't imagine, you know, being a triple amputee and one having the the guts to, to, to do it. And then two to absolutely fall in love with it. Like you have, and, you know, make it such a huge part of your life. So tell me about that experience. I, I wasn't fully aware of, um, like, you know, like the welcome at the airport. And For those of you who have not seen or experienced an Operation Surf welcoming at the airport, it is bananas. There are hundreds of people waving flags, Humvees, vintage cars, all of the local first responders. It is absolutely crazy i totally a big all, surprise all the ceremony stuff what well, i had no idea about any of that um was um, that bad for your ptsd or was it pretty um 
I'm not exactly a fan of crowds anyway. <laughs> yeah, but, I know a lot of veterans like, aren't, yeah. No, so um, I'm actually all right with it now, but um, at the time, yeah, I mean, we obviously we, we were there for a couple of days before the guys from Texas were arriving. Um, and so we'd gotten to meet Van, Amanda, and a few of the other people we'll start with and had dinners and such. and um, And then... Yeah, we went to the airport to go and meet the CFI guys coming in. And there there were no crowds, nothing. I think there <laughs> might have been a couple of flags. Yeah. And so we're in the terminal and then I mean I, I was walking and on stubbies and and you like come out of the building back of the queue and I was like hanging back near the back of the queue anyway I was like no you, you American guys you can go first like <laughs> you're, this is your home turf you yeah. go and then then like walk out into this like pit like you, did you you know yeah. you're San Luis airport like it's the old yeah. ramp oh, yeah. coming out yep. there was like a line of people on each side of the ramp all the way up the path up towards that restaurant in the corner yeah like the cars and it was just like yeah, uh, I was like, I was like, get through this, like, get gone to the hotel. I was like, oh, um, oh man, um, yeah. But I remember being at the hotel, and this was, I think, it was one of the things that said to me, like, yeah, this community is like pretty cool. Was, um, as I think they might still be a sponsor, but it was like the local prosthetic center there, uh, like the hangar center in Slow. Um, the gut, the prosthetist from it was there, and I was standing there talking with him. And basically, I was still on like they're basically the, the test sockets, but with the leg mounted on the bottom, so it wasn't the full carbon socket or anything yet. But it was like the wood block glued on the bottom with then like bandage tape round. And oh wow, um, basically, I can't remember when it, it might have happened on the flight, but like the connection between the wood block and the foam and the bottom had like snapped, oh, but man. the bandage stuff was still holding it on, you know. And I'm, just there like so and i'm like i think he might i'm not sure if i'd done a few steps and he heard it okay and he was asking me about it i was told him he was like yeah sorry you know it's just a bit broken basically it's like no, like after this is all done or, or was it in the morning basically come to the office and we'll fix it up you know wow That's yeah awesome. so I, I can't remember who it was it might have been van actually Van took me there, dropped me off to get it sorted, you know, just sat there in the office while he like fixed it up for me and got it sorted and yeah. then went and rejoined everyone. Um, wow. So yeah, that, that's amazing. That, that sort of show, gave me that first sense of like a bit more comfort and yeah, it's almost like a, a real, a real welcome, right? It's not just words yeah. or waving a flag or saying thank you, yeah. but like actually doing something, going out of their way to, to help you out. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, looking back as well, it's funny because of the way that I've, I took to it, the surfing was, um, that actually caused me to miss all the dry land training and like the initial meet and greet stuff. Um, so I never did that because I was off getting my leg fixed and, um, what you're saying is you missed all of the ground training, all the land training about popping yeah. up about so so you've missed maybe the most crucial part of learning <laughs> yeah, yeah, to surf <laughs> yeah yeah okay so, so I now got, i understand the situation yeah so i oh, got man. i got like kind of a quick crash course on it before we jumped in the water avalon yeah. first day but um at this yeah, point, missed at this the whole point thing. did did you have the prosthetic for swimming no that you may okay so you don't have that you just have your arm 
you yeah. have um you know just just your just your right arm yeah that's, at that uh, point even in the swimming pool i'd just been swimming just with the one arm wow okay even, wow. I, I i did find it helpful to move my left arm through do the okay, stroke okay. as well because it kind of keeps you in time and yeah but not on the board though it didn't really make any difference but, okay because um, it didn't go in the water um, sure but um at that point so i was mostly getting pushed around and towed and all that and I was on a big nine or ten foot board or something i can't remember okay yeah yeah big old log yeah yeah um but like i was saying though i'd been um two weeks before i'd been in germany kayaking um i'd been water skiing behind the boat and all that and that's true okay so you have a little bit of like kind of water uh awareness or you know what it's like being in the water with one limb and with the stuff I'd done growing up as well, I was comfortable being in the water. Yeah, confidence. Because you know, yeah. like one of the main things I did from like the age of seven or eight until, well, actually, till I joined up, I was still doing it in my early twenties. Was like um, cliff jumping. So, oh wow, I, yeah. So I was, I was like really comfortable in the water. Um, so, so, yeah. so you go out. You've got um, your instructor red shirt. You've got yeah. probably a couple white shirt water safeties with yeah, you too. One or two, I can't remember. Yeah. And they, and they take you out and is this like, is this love at first wave or was it extremely hard for you at first? Like, tell us about that. Well, I don't remember like falling in love sort of thing, but, um, I remember enjoying it. Um, but start with obviously it was, it was Avila and it was obviously, it was more fun than it is now to surf Avila. But um, <laughs> I remember, like, I was even go- I was going left and right, even the first couple of days. Um, wow! And that's popping up the, on in in your mm-hmm. stance. So, okay, yeah, so yeah. that came supernatural, real yeah. quick. And I look, I look back actually, because that that's something that's strange as well um, from what I've done before. Um, so obviously, the kayaking and water skiing, all that's facing forwards. Um, and I remember as a kid, I used to do, um, I did like inline skating even in like the parks and all on ramps and street skating. And sure. all that. But, and I remember I could ride a skateboard, but I never felt comfortable like standing sideways and riding sideways. So, but when I got on the surfboard, I mean, without the legs there, I guess sitting down, I don't know, it just felt, you know, it just felt right and yeah. comfortable. And, um, and yeah, I mean, able to sort of, steer the board a bit because of i guess what i've already done um it just transferred over um and then i remember vans mentioned it a couple of times um since where you know that um rock that's on the corner of the river mouth there yeah oh yeah yeah in avalon yeah on that first year there wasn't as much sand so that rock was like more exposed and the waves were closer to it <clears throat> I remember Van said like how he remembers standing on the beach watching me heading like straight at this rock going like oh no no like like trying I guess wanting the water safety to block me or something but then all of a sudden me just doing like the little tweak and steering the board around the rock and oh, like carrying wow. the um, <laughs> yeah and so um yeah I don't know just I guess the other skills transferred over and easy and made it more fun i guess because that's awesome i asked martin if surfing was love at first wave and probably the most british response he could have given 
He, he said, no, I don't remember loving it. I just remember being really good at it. And he's not lying. He was incredible and picked it up extremely fast. Most veterans who come out to an event, whether it's with Operation Surf or One More Wave, even if they have all their limbs and have great balance and are incredible athletes, it takes a long time to be able to move around on a board and look like a real surfer. And for Martin, it just kind of came naturally. Because I got home and I was like, yeah, I want to keep doing this. Um, um, the beach, even now that I surf, is it's only like it's under a mile from my house. Oh, that's driving. Awesome. And there's a guy who I think, honestly, I think my mum was aware of or something. Yeah. He's got a surf school down there. It was really good. So I got linked with him straight away. Oh, so I oh. carried on straight away nice. here as well. And then went into the rehab center and was like, you know, you need to make me a paddle. Like, that's so cool. Like, and yeah so it so. just took off and now i mean you're uh you're famous in my eyes just just you know the the one limb surfer is pretty uh pretty awesome yeah. the 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 videos that i see um that you know organizations have made the um you know resurface from the uh op yeah. surf on netflix that is uh just incredible um every time we get a surf you know it's just it brings so much joy to me to see you surfing and uh, I know that for all the, you know, new guys coming out and surfing for the first time, seeing you shred the way you shred now, um, it's like, what the heck? If he can do that, man, I have nothing to complain about. You know, it doesn't matter how broken I am or how what I'm dealing with mentally or physically or whatever, you know, it's, man, if Martin can do it, I better, I better gear up and do cool. this thing. Thanks, man. Yeah, and that, that's, I guess that's the whole reason why I, put stuff out there because um because really i i it's, it's weird i don't even i don't really like seeing myself on cameras and stuff and um some of the video i think i'm starting to get happier with seeing the videos because i'm starting to be able to surf like i imagine and want to be able to um yeah. so that i'm getting happy with that the pictures um, of you in the wave pool i mean that's just an epic <laughs> wave and you were just yeah I feel like you can progress so fast with a consistent break yeah. like that and like a day session. You just progress I, in months. I, I've felt it. Yeah. Um, like just even in the last few months, because uh, I've been quite a few times since the restrictions were lifted here. Um, and yeah, the, I, can, I feel in myself I've made more progress in a couple of months than I had done in a few years. That's really. awesome. Yeah. Um, but and like we're putting stuff out there, that was the whole point behind me asking to come back as well which I asked like it was it within the first few months I think after that first event I'd been in contact with Van again and was just like look can I come back and sort of like be like do the like mental role for share like help you guys help like the others that are coming through like it's helped me so yeah it's 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 amazing I've had a couple bad days where I'm you know, dealing with something and then, you know, scroll through Instagram following you and just like, wow, dude, Martin just inspired me. Like there was a video, I remember a specific day where, um, my back was killing me. I shattered four vertebrae in my back. I've had just lots of back pain on and off for, you know, over a decade now. But, um, I was having a bad day, back's killing me. And then I see you like digging in the backyard, like feeling wheelbarrows and like moving dirt <laughs> yeah. in a wheelchair with one arm. And I'm like, 
dude, get over yourself. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> heck, man? I was so pissed at myself for being all down and gloomy. And I just instantly felt better, instantly started getting stuff done. And, and, uh, just, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So I really appreciate you sharing those. Right. Um, anything you want to say about, you know, how surfing has changed you or like what specifically about surfing is just, you know, you've mentioned you've done kayaking, water skiing, and a multitude of different epic activities. But what is, what is it about surfing that's just so remarkable for you? Um, I remember one of the initial things I was thinking was, because I was about independence. Because I could see with like, it's pretty much, I, I've grown, I grew up with doing a lot of stuff by myself and, after all this, there's, I mean, obviously initially there's a lot of stuff I needed help with and, um, and I kind of wanted to be able to do something like on my own. Um, and I, I could see fairly early on that with the right equipment and practice and all that sort of stuff, I'd be able to. Wow. Um, so that, and I guess there was that and then, uh, the like, adrenaline and getting yeah. good rides and um that's because like what i was saying with all the stuff i've done before is that adrenaline's been a big part of everything i've done um and i like it so. independence and adrenaline rushes there's nothing quite like surfing and when you get bit by the surfing bug nothing is going to stop you from getting in the water and progressing and going for it, except maybe the ocean herself. Martin got the opportunity to surf a pretty awesome spot near Point Conception. The waves were huge that day, but his confidence and his stoke was through the roof. Martin could not wait to get in the water and let it rip. And I remember getting there on the as I sat in the boat on the back of the ski, and I was like full of confidence because I. Because it was a couple of months after going to Hawaii with Van and Amanda that December. Um, and the last day we surfed at Hanlei Bay on Kauai, it was like 12 foot faces. Jeez. And I'd had like 10 waves, like no wipeouts, like, like brilliant. And wow. so I went into that day, like I was buzzing. And it was actually after the Santa Cruz event. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was on the board that like Laird Hunt had actually like had made for me and delivered to me in Santa Cruz. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was fucking, I was like, yeah, we're on. Like, and it was literally was first wave out there. Vanna took me like straight oh. up to the very point of the wave. <laughs> and I was like, sick, tits popped up and like went to try and do bottom turn or start turning down the line. And fuck, it was like the board just stopped. And I just oh. went, blink, <laughs> can like pretty oh, much, I think man. it was like head first down, like just oh. straight. And that just first get dominated. One, yeah, that first one wasn't too bad though. It was like, it was actually the third one. Um, I think I missed time the dive on it or something, but I okay. properly got caught by the, the oh. breaking of it. I didn't get under the energy enough. And you're already out of breath. You're already a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in your own mind. And then. And it, see, from what I've heard since, it was. Um, 
I didn't just get dragged straight down the point because we were right at the head of the point. There's like the current there at the head. So oh yeah, we got held the right, at the, oh. right at the start of it. Um, apparently, Van said it was a bit got a bit worried when the boards there tombstoning, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> for a bit. And uh, um, but yeah, got got back up through that one. And I, but I remember that feeling. I was like, on that third one, I I was like feeling like I was at the end of my breath just before I got back to the surface. Um, and it's the only time I've really had that. Um, I don't know if you ever met Barry Baker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He he was out there and I remember coming up after one of the ways and he, I think he deliberately had took a wave and come off near me. Okay. And I remember coming up and he was like talking me through and calming down. Oh, and, nice. And that settled me down enough to get through it. But, um, yeah, that was that was still the worst, you know. There were, I mean, it was like a the the, the face heights was like ten foot, dang, just a that straight south, so long cute. period south swell, like straight in there. Um, and it was at the break that's at the right before Point Conception, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and yeah, so fully exposed, like Gosh. lovely wave, like yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, I think to this day, that's still probably my worst one. For those of us that surf, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But that scary experience didn't hold Martin down for long. In fact, now, he's in full competition mode. Martin has competed in seven competitions so far. And even a global pandemic hasn't stopped him. Now, he's competing virtually. That's been a good help for me, because I always been quite competitive anyway but that's to actually drive on towards the things i want to be able to do within surfing that's been a big but currently this month has been was the first month of this like video submission contest so that one's still running and actually i've got on my because you can get your clips wherever you want i've had waves at the wave pool oh yeah (laughs) i actually got and I, I actually managed, because I, I, this last two weeks, I hadn't good, managed to get a clip yet. I was, um, last week at the wave for a camera issue, so oh. I didn't get any footage. I was like, so frustrated last week. And like, but luckily this conditions lined up today and I got one of the best ways at my home break for a long time and submitted the video. And I got like pretty much equal score to one I got at the wave pool. Wow. Like, wow. That's so, awesome. Um, although that's only from one judge so far, there's still a couple more to go. Okay. Um, well, I wish you and then, and then actually this coming Saturday is the next English um, Adaptive Open. And right on. Thankfully, this time, instead of being at one of the crappy beaches, it's at the Wave Pool. <laughs> oh, nice. That's, a, that's epic. Because yeah, yeah. I know it's, it's all part of it, but every comp I've done so far, not just for like, my own heat but the whole thing in general just the conditions have sucked That's i've been skunked every time i've not had any conditions that i've been able to surf like and, sh- and show yeah show what you're made yeah. of yeah man yeah so now going into this one i'm like sweet okay i'm probably surfing the best i have and i'm actually going to be able to perform so that's um, super exciting yeah. man i'm I'm pumped yeah. for you rooting for you you yeah. have to send me that uh that video so i could put it on our uh, podcast website sure. but um how do people follow you 
What's your handle? Um, so, yes, yeah, one limb surfer on Instagram. At one limb um, surfer. I'll post that as well. Awesome, man. Well, I'll make you a deal when this uh, virus thing is over and we can move freely about the countries. I'll uh, fly over yeah. the pond, come see you, come surf at the wave pool yeah. with you and eat some uh, fish and chips from the family restaurant. Yeah, no doubt, man. That'd be great. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'll probably uh, work it out and I'm, I'm planning on getting back that way too. So Nice. Yeah. Anytime you're in myself. California, you let me know. We'll go, we'll go surfing. Yeah, for sure, man. Cool. All right. Take care, man. <laughs> Thank care. you so much for coming on. No worries, man. Have a good one. In all the conversations I've ever had with Martin, never once has he complained about his situation. Never once has he complained about the mental trauma or side effects either. He has a unique ability to accept the current reality as it is and works to improve himself from there. I think we should all be more like Martin in this way. And isn't that mentality really at the heart of surfing? We don't have control over the conditions, the tides, the wind, the waves. We can fight it when it doesn't go our way and be miserable the whole time. Or we can be like Martin and come to a place of acceptance and understanding of the present moment only worry about what we are in control of, our actions and our reactions to the present circumstances. That is the moment that you become a surfer. I am your host, Lance Junker, and this has been Bombs and Barrels. Thanks so much for joining me. If you like what you've listened to, and you feel like supporting the podcast, you can head to our website at bombsandbarrels.com, click on donate, follow the link to donate, or better yet, share the stoke with some of the veteran organizations that I have listed on the website below that link. Intro and outro music written and performed by Vince Chimo, Motion off his Eden album, and have yourself a wonderful day.